0: Hello, you're listening to A Little Bit of Largum, a podcast exploring a more connected and human approach to climate conversations. A space for questioning, learning, and discovering the many ways a sense of balance can come to be. I hope that you're doing well wherever you're listening from, and thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. In today's episode, I had a wonderful conversation with Hazel Najinder. Hazel is the founder of Climate Operation, a youth-led organisation based in Uganda, which focuses on educating young people and the community about climate change and its intersection between various social issues. They prioritise making climate education accessible and digestible. They run workshops for schools and organise activities such as tree planting, which you'll learn much more about throughout this conversation. Hazel shares the motivation behind Climate Operation the importance of accessible information to educate children about the climate crisis in Uganda, the need to focus on the human impact of the climate crisis, including the health and social impacts. We delve into discussing the damages surrounding the way the climate crisis is portrayed within mainstream media, and how the narrative and lens through which it is seen needs to shift and drastically expand. Hazel shares such important insights into issues that are often left out of conversations surrounding the work of NGOs, and why an inclusive, community-centred, grassroots approach needs to be the focus when developing meaningful, effective climate solutions. I absolutely loved having this conversation with Hazel, and I hope that you enjoy listening and learn a lot from it too.
1: Thank you so much for
0: having me, Mala. Oh you're more than welcome and thank you so much for agreeing to like come and chat with me like I'm really looking forward to speaking with you and getting to know you a bit better um you seem like a super awesome person so
1: I feel like you're just so calming like you just have a calm vibe that <laughs> is really nice
0: oh thank you I really appreciate that <laughs> so yeah I'm just really excited to jump into this chat I'm like really looking forward to hearing your perspectives and so would you be happy to start with giving just like a little introduction to you the work that you do and maybe kind of how you're spending
1: your days at the moment so hi everyone my name is Hazel Najinda Uh, I'm the founder of Climate Operation, which is a youth-led organization uh, in Uganda. So currently I live in Kampala, which is the capital city of Uganda. And what Climate Operation does is that we educate children and communities about climate change and its intersection between various social issues like gender, health, and then We not only just want to give them information, so that's why we always also do that tree planting activities and we involve them in planting fruit trees. So, so far we have visited four schools and uh, we have planted 210 fruit trees and given climate uh, education sessions to approximately 500 children.
0: Oh, that's so incredible. And I really look forward to hearing like more details about that in a little bit. but. I also really wanted to ask for you, like your relationship to nature and what Mm -hmm. connects you to nature. I'm really fascinated to hear.
1: Yeah, that's an amazing question. Well, when it comes to my connection to nature, if I'm being honest with you, Mala, um, before actually starting climate operation, I kind of used to just, you know how you like bypass nature, like you don't really give it that much significance. But then as time has gone by, I kind of have this appreciation to it because if we're being honest, nature does a lot for us more than we do for it. With, For example, with trees, we get rainfall, which rainfall actually is really good for the soil. So with that, with that rainfall, then actually people can plant food. So it kind of also helps in regards to the food security of communities. So my connection to nature right now is with trees and really appreciating what they do for us because they suck in all that carbon And you know, just release all that oxygen. That is why I always, whenever we go to schools, I always tell children, once in a while, you should hug a tree. You know, (laughs) it's amazing. Like, appreciate what the tree is doing for you. Might not necessarily, but that tree is doing amazing things for all of us.
0: Yeah, definitely. And like, recently, I've been also reading more books that are talking Mm -hmm. all about trees. Like, there's a book called The Hidden Life of Trees, and there's another book as well. I can't remember the name, but. it gives you even more appreciation like understanding the incredible things that they do it's like wow (laughs) we we should be so much more grateful.
1: That is really cool I've been reading uh, Braiding Sweetgrass it is by Robin Wall Kimmer and basically it's just talking about uh, the connection to nature and like how it's stemming back to like our indigenous ancestry and I've been reading it for one it's really calming it kind of it's like, a, a, can I call it, a, not a eulogy, but like a dedication to Mother Earth. And as I was reading a chapter yesterday and I just kept smiling and I was like, wow, everyone really needs to read this book. Because you see, when you read something, you kind of also get that, you, you, you get that appreciation for it. So I think that is a book that I would definitely recommend for someone to read if they're like, you know, asking themselves why should we really care? That is a book I would ask people to read.
0: Yeah, yeah, I read that book recently as well and I was so sad when I came to the end of it because it was just like so many messages rooted in like mm-hmm. reciprocity and the relationship to nature and respect for nature and taking only that which you need and always being mm-hmm. so. yeah, it's just so many
1: beautiful messages, yeah. Don't spoil it for me, Mala. I have just started. I'm on chapter two. <laughs> so I'm quite excited. Clearly, I already know I'm going to be sad when I finish, but that's fine. I can always repeat it. (laughs) So
0: the next question I wanted to ask you is how you came into sort of climate and environmental activism, like the path into it for you. Uh, So
1: right now in Uganda, when it comes to, for example, climate related education, that's something that's not currently in our curriculum. So this means that children actually go through school, To become, let's say, young adults, but they really don't know anything about climate change. And I'm of the view that you cannot actually start solving a problem when you don't have the information on that problem. So, looking at all of that, and then also looking at the fact that generally community wise, people are not that aware about climate change and its impacts and are also really, they really just don't care because they are not aware. So that is how everything started because we wanted to not only educate children about climate change and involve them in climate-related activism, but we wanted to really stress the human impacts and the impacts on biodiversity because we thought that if we actually tell them of that effects the fact that because of massive industrialization that is impacting people's health then they will actually care to change their personal practices like for example the first school we went to we went went to the first school in last year December and then I went back in February so when we went last year in December I was asking them do you guys carry plastic bottles and all of them like all just showed their single plastic use bottles. And I was like, you guys, those those bottles are not nice. You know, when you litter them, they like release methane to to the atmosphere, which is bad causes climate change. And the fact that microplastics are not good for our health. So then going back again in February, to that same class we went to almost all of them had reusable water bottles so that impact is amazing the fact that the moment you start looking start educating people and like young children about the human impact that climate change is having and then you go back and think that they have actually changed so that is the reason why we started and why we are continuing
0: yeah that's so incredible and and I think you've already touched on it already with regards to like the importance of educating young children about mm-hmm. the climate crisis but for you where did that like initially start from like recognizing the importance of educating young people
1: okay that's an amazing question well as I, I will always refer to Uganda I, I I do not want to refer to other countries because I have a lot of experience in Uganda because I have seen it. So currently in Uganda, uh, we are heavily reliant on fossil fuels. And when it comes to things like renewable energy or smart climate solutions, that's something that our government is not giving priority to. But then the environmental movement is stressing conserving the, the environment for the futures. The children are the future. So the reason why I believe that we need to educate our children is because when they are educated and you know, connected to nature, then they are going to challenge themselves to start to innovate the climate solutions that they are going to need. Because right now, the old people, the people who are making policies, either seem not to care or they are taking them to care. So as young people, we need to act now. Now with children, right now I, I believe they are still too young to act, but when you educate them and give them awareness on that problem, I believe by the time they're old enough to be like, okay, now let's act, then they will have the material, the resources to act. So that is why we're really educating them, because we want them to challenge themselves to start innovating climate solutions that our country desperately needs right now, but Mm. the solutions are not there yet. So that is the main vision and goal, and maybe can I say inspiration for what we're doing now.
0: Now that's beautiful and I was just like nodding the whole time hearing you say that like <laughs> mm-hmm. it's so important that young people have access to this information to then inform yes. their future and how we can create a world that is more sustainable and ethical and just for everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm.
1: And I like that you've talked about how it's important for, for the education to be reliable. So, like, for example, right now, um, uh, when it comes to climate uh, education resources, they are heavily scientific, and then they are mostly based online. So now when you look at a child in Uganda in a rural school, they don't have access to internet, and clearly they're not going to understand that scientific information. So I think that is also something that we are really kind of trying to solve, whereby we have very digestible information. It is not online. We give it to them, whereby, and it's really fun. Like, we were at a school last week on Friday, we went to this school called Kainai Primary School. And basically, we were just seated in the grass, you know, having a chat, very fun. We didn't have to stress. And the amazing thing is that. That The kids have an idea about how to conserve the environment. Like I remember asking them, okay, guys, how can we, you know, solve climate change? And we're all like afforestation, recycling. So kind of having that dialogue with them and, you know, reassuring them that your opinions and views are valid. So that is the amazing thing with it. Instead of always them thinking that, oh, I can't not actually access this information because I either can't understand it or it's in the, on the internet that I can't access the internet. Mm-hmm. So that is also kind of like the way we are doing our work, which has worked so far. And I think that is how we shall keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Then maybe going forward, if it's possible is then we then we shall like integrate the internet but obviously when we look at integrating the internet that then goes into the question of accessibility will it be accessible to everyone Mm,
0: yeah and i just yeah i love so much what you were saying there about like engaging in conversation and making it fun and almost allowing young people to solve problems themselves like encouraging that mindset of problem
1: solving That is really good because like, I remember you had asked me something about organizations and how usually when they come to Uganda, something they do, I don't know if, I'm, I'm not sure if most of them do it, but the ones I know, when they usually come to Uganda, of course they come with like, the mindset of, oh, we are going to solve problems. But I think the thing they always miss out is that they are not inclusive. They do not include the communities that are facing that problem. And then they also don't include the grassroots activists that have been solving that problem. So they kind of leave the people that they are trying to help out of the conversation. So that is something that we are really trying to do as well, like involve them in the conversation, in solving and also asking them the questions of how would you guys think What do you guys want to do? How would this help your school or your community? So making it into a dialogue instead of like a one-sided thing. Mm. So that is something that's really amazing. And if it's practiced all over the world, not just in Uganda, I think it can be very monumental to changing how societies view themselves. It kind of creates that self-reliance, whereby you rely on yourself to solve things instead of relying on an external person to come and help you. Then when they leave, you can't do anything. Mm.
0: Yeah, because it can really empower people in that way. And when you're talking about the dialogue, it's so important because someone living within a certain community is going to understand so much more about the needs of the community than someone coming in and sort of putting their ideas of what sustainability should be onto Mm -hmm. someone else. And like, especially when you think about a lot of whitewashed organizations coming in often from somewhere who caused the problem in the first place so it feels very counterintuitive
1: it is (laughs) you're you're right it really is counterintuitive whereby you're coming like the person who's coming to help is coming from uh uh, let's say a country or a place whereby the ones who have caused the problem to a place whereby people have really contributed really minimal to that problem and then you're not giving them the chance to contribute to give their views on what they think is going to best help them. So yes, I think that is something that really needs to change in the way organizations and maybe uh, NGOs approach their philanthropy and their humanitarian activities
0: yeah that's such a great point and yeah I remember I wanted to draw upon it in this conversation because listening to you talk about it in a recent webinar I think it was the race and health Mm -hmm. webinar um talking about environmental justice and racial justice and yeah I just hearing you talk about that it really stuck with me and I'm really happy for you sharing your views on that Mm, thank you and I wanted to ask as well, how Climate Operation, which is an organization that you created, how it actually came into existence?
1: That is actually quite a funny story. <laughs> so um, before I started Climate Operation, I was doing a volunteer work with another organization here in Uganda called The Loud Project. So basically what The Loud Project does is that it does a lot of work with like poverty, women empowerment, gender equality and things like that. So whenever we would go in the field, we always go to these communities that are really impoverished, like the slums. And something I realized about those communities is that they were heavily polluted and that pollution was worsening the other social issues that they were facing. So I was talking to the founder of the LAWAT project and I was telling him that, you know, that because, for example, we have a slum here, it's in Katwe. So we visited Katwe and I was telling him that, you know, Because of how heavily polluted these places. That is why these people are always falling sick. And that is why there's a lot of injustice, for example, when it comes to how they are treated, because the community itself is really polluted, not just like with plastic pollution, but then it also is like the air is really not clean, the air quality is really bad. So I think that is one of that is why I created a climate operation and as like we need to, for one, create awareness because if these people knew that the areas they are living in are heavily polluted and that is worsening their condition, if they were actually aware of that, they would demand for the government to clean up those places because it's actually not their fault that that place places like that. The government is using those areas as dumping grounds, which is not right because you can't use a residential area as a dumping ground. So, Creating that awareness amongst them that you guys, the fact that your your area or your community is this polluted is worsening your health. It is really not good for you, and you need to do something about it. Like I think that is then that is when I was like, okay, fine. We need to create climate operation for one, not to just educate children, but also educate the communities. You know, like make them aware. Because something that I've realized here is that because people are really not aware of that problem. They cannot solve it. And I think actually that is the core reason why we created crime operation. To make people aware of the problem and then act on it. Mm, And that's where everything stemmed from.
0: Mm, yeah definitely and I remember looking back at I think it was one of the first posts you put talking about when climate operation was being set up and Mm -hmm. talking about how the climate crisis in Africa is so often overlooked both within Africa as a continent and and also internationally and I was wondering if there was any more you wanted to share about that
1: yes which is the funny thing is before I entered into this climate space, I really was not knowing that how whitewashed it was, because like the mainstream media, for one, talks about the climate movement for one to be majority white, and then it's always talking about greenhouse gas emissions, it's always talking about ice caps melting, it's never talking about the fact that in Africa. the impacts of climate change are affecting us now and we shouldn't be focusing on future generations. Future generations are important, but we need to be focusing on what are we going to do now. So that is something that I find extremely ironic and it really needs to change, not only with our government, but also with the international international community, the media, uh, the activists. And I like the fact that these days, influential uh, activists and people are now passing the mic to indigenous communities, to people of color, basically to people who are at the forefront of the climate crisis and are now passing the mic to actually make sure that these issues are not only heard, but also these people that are doing amazing things in their communities are also noticed and their work is furthered because there are a lot of grassroots communities in our communities, but because, can I say, they are not that big, kind of forget what's happening not knowing that those grassroots communities are the ones that are really very inclusive in their activities they go and ask the communities what do you guys need what are you facing you know and they also know what has been happening so I like that that's that's something that has been happening on social media but then when it comes to the media itself there's still a lot of whitewashing whereby they're bringing out how it's only white people who are doing amazing things with the climate which is wrong. And then they are not really talking about the fact that Africa, yeah, we meet the least greenhouse gas emissions, but we are facing the most impacts. So like, that's something that is not talked about a lot. And I believe, I feel like that's something that needs to be chatted more about because very soon <laughs> we'll be at a point whereby we actually cannot remedy what's been done the media needs to change the way it broadcasts the environmental movement. And then even those people that are in a place of privilege need to use that privilege to highlight and to amplify the voices of people of colour of indigenous people, not just in Africa, all over the world. Basically, because I don't think it's only Africans that are at the brunt of the climate crisis. I believe other communities in other countries are also at the brunt of it. So those people in their place of privilege need to use their voices, their platforms to amplify what's happening in those regions
0: yeah, a hundred percent thank you so much for sharing those incredibly important messages and and facts it's so true that the media is still incredibly whitewashed and mm-hmm. it's just horrific the way that it's still being painted as though the people who are causing these problems are the ones that are coming up with all the solutions to solve it and it's like actually there's grassroots communities in these countries who are experiencing the brute forces of it now, contributing the least to it, but are doing the incredible work, but it's not being heard about on a global scale in sort of mainstream media. And I think there's so much power in grassroots organizations. And if we look back on like any big social change that happens, that's where it starts is with the grassroots organizations who have a lot more focus on, Community and inclusivity and care for each other. And I think, yeah, it's so great to hear you talking about that. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome.
0: And I wanted to ask a few more specific things as well now about the work that you guys do um, in climate operation with the tree planting and also kind of regenerative farming practices. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that.
1: Mm. Okay. So, uh, as I was saying, we have planted. Uh, 210 trees so far right now, fruit trees. We have visited four schools, so we have been planting 50 trees approximately, Those there is where well, we planted 70 trees, which is amazing. So um, the management of, of those trees is something that we really, really look at as important, because we don't want to plant the trees in the schools and then they die. So for one, we really look at soil health, like that's something that we really teach the children about, and <laughs> It's funny because whenever we are planting, there are always worms in the soil. And like, you know, we get the worms and like, you guys, so you see these worms, these worms are nice for the soil. And they're like, ew, why are you touching the worms? And they're like, no, don't be worried, you guys. (laughs) The worms are good for the soil. So I think educating the children about the soil, like the soil health and the fact that the nutrients in the soil are needed so they shouldn't, for example, really over-teal. A lot of agriculture here is very industrialized. They use a lot of chemicals on the on their plants. They till up, they, they, they use a lot of tilling on the plants. Then there's kind of no agroforestry and look at, let's say, five, five acres of land with just one plant. And then the moment the plant is removed, the soil is left bare, they don't like put cover crops. So because uh, our activities in schools are really small scale, it's just 50 trees. Something we really, really emphasize is one, the soil health. Then we also emphasize the fact that they shouldn't use chemicals on the plants because that is really not going to be good. It's not going to create that kind of regenerative cycle with the plants. And the good thing is that the school we last went to were asking um, um their agricultural teacher um what how are you going to manage the trees do you do you spray was like no everything we use here is organic which was amazing i was so happy (laughs) like okay fine that's amazing and then the fact that they had this ecosystem whereby they have animals and crops as well so he was telling me how the feces from the animals is what they use to fertilize the soil so it's kind of like an ecosystem then they also have um uh, they get the food waste because the, the children throw away some of the food so that food waste is used to make compost and then they add it to the soil. So all those are the regenerative farming practices that we have seen in the schools. Uh, Some schools didn't have any, so we had to sensitize them about, about that and also kind of do a simple trading. But the amazing thing is that so far the schools we have been to, three had had already started practicing those methods. Interesting thing is they didn't know that those were regenerative farming methods, but they have been doing them for a long time. So that has been very encouraging. And hopefully when we start doing the community projects, because the community projects are on a wide scale, we won't be planting like 50 trees. We want to be planting something like 100 200 trees. 300 trees so hopefully when we start the community based project we shall really dive deep into the regenerative farming practices because now when you have a garden that is bigger you really need to take care of the farm because now that is a real farm so yeah
0: that's so exciting to hear and I love the circularity of it I think that's such an important thing Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: it really is I mean the fact that they are not just relying like on the on on the plants themselves, but they're also like integrating the animals. So the animals like run sometimes or come and like you know make do feces in the ground, and then that is used like to make the ground very fertile. And the fact that they are not using pesticides or herbicides to ensure that the crops are are, are good, that is amazing to see in the schools. I'm really. Uh, optimistic, sit. I'm, I'm very curious to see what is going, what's going to happen in communities because when it comes to agriculture, communities in Uganda, when mostly regenerative agriculture is something that is not widespread because we believe that that is how you're going to get more yield. But then it's kind of counterintuitive because the moment that crops, you take the crops off, you cannot plant on the soil again; it becomes dust. So I really, really, really very curious to see what's going to happen when we enter the communities and I'm quite excited to also like you know do a training on regenerative farming in the communities because that is really going to take us a step further when it comes to curbing food insecurity here.
0: Yeah it sounds like it's going to be so transformative because it allows that sustainable practice that's better for the planet but also better for the community and having access yeah. to healthy food you know in, in abundance mm-hmm. and not not having that scarcity. So
1: it's actually interesting. Um when we went to our school last week on Friday and we plant indigenous trees, non-grafted trees. So basically indigenous trees they take long to grow but then they are very generative in that the fact that you plant the tree and it it fruits and let's say you don't cut it down but it can it will keep regenerating so that uh, the teacher was telling me that you shouldn't plant these trees you should plant grafted trees because you're not looking at regeneration but you're looking at how fast are they going to yield fruits and of course i had to tell him that is not necessarily what we are doing what we are doing is that we want to plant trees that are going to be here for years to come whereby the children are not going to like Let's say, come back in ten years and there will be no trees, <laughs> like where the trees we planted. so I think also kind of educating them on the fact that planting indigenous trees is better for the community, and like it's better for the land because it's not going to be a one time thing where by the moment that the tree gets fruits, then that will be it. So that will be the end of its life cycle. so also kind of going into the reason why we are planting indigenous trees was also very important for me when we went to the school last week.
0: It's so important to make that point. And it's incredible that you're able to like, sort of, yeah, like make that case for it and really like fight for, <laughs> for the needs that mm-hmm. need to happen. Yeah. And yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> so you've touched on this a little bit already, but you have a strong focus on interacting like the health implications with the climate crisis and kind of making sure that those connections are bridged. And you mentioned a bit with the the water bottles and plastic and those aspects. But I was wondering if there are any other points you'd like to make regarding the connections between climate and health and why it's so important to educate the community about these things.
1: When it comes to the current climate crisis, there's a lot being said about greenhouse gas emissions. And of course, greenhouse gas emissions are worsening the climate crisis, but to a layman who does not understand or even doesn't see the greenhouse gas emissions, they're not really going to care about that. But then the moment you start telling someone, look, your practices and the practices of our government are impacting our health. Like for example, the fact that the government is setting up industries in residential areas, that is very, going to be very bad for their health. Then that makes people really care about what needs to be done. And then also, like our climate operation, we're really excited and like advancing to people that it shouldn't really be that hard for you to change. Like it can just be very simple personal habits that you change if, for example, they're increasing on the carbon footprint, for example, to stop using single plastic use. So educating them on the human impact that, climate change is having not just on their health but also on the biodiversity like I was chatting with someone last week and he was telling me that the reason I personally like forests is because we get most of our medicine from forests and the fact that because of climate change and also deforestation all these trees are being cut down and the moment all these trees are nowhere to be found then how are we going to survive as human beings educating people about that the fact that also that the biodiversity is being destroyed and for our human survival we rely on all of that it encourages them to change for one their personal habits then to really really pressure our governments to stop doing certain things like amazing thing that happened the government of Uganda was going to cut down a forest if this forest is cut down one biodiversity is going to be destroyed so there's going to be a lot of desertification so you see how the moment you start telling them of how they are personally going to be impacted how they actually really care then of course like people are online pressuring the government not to cut down the forest and then it went to parliament so that is why i think it's really important to not just look at greenhouse gas emissions and the whole science bit of it but to really look at the human impact and the health impacts it's going to have when it becomes worse that really changes how people look at this whole situation of climate change.
0: Yes, it's so, so true. And the climate crisis is not a scientific thing. Like, there's scientific information about it, but it's, mm-hmm. it's a personal thing. And yes. people are being impacted in their daily lives. And I think it's incredible the way you're allowing people to make those connections. Because, in, like you're saying, until you have this information, you can't know to change anything. right.
1: Like you really can't, like the air quality was really bad a few weeks back. And of course, everyone thought that's just normal air because when the government said, which was, I actually laughed about this, the government said that the reason the air is bad is because the Sahara winds have blown dust to, <laughs> to the country. And I was like, yeah, are, you really, are you guys really serious about this information you're giving us? <laughs> so you see that kind of disinformation, because someone was like, the air is so bad, we can't really breathe. And I was telling someone, this is climate change. This is because we have set up industries next to residential areas. That is why some places actually just have bad air. And making them aware of that made them really look at things on a personal scale on what can we now do? What can, instead of, uh, because again, something that happens here is that people think, and I think it's an African problem. People think that climate change is a white problem and, that is partially because the media portrays it as a white problem. So when, when people look at climate change, they're like, no, here we're not really facing the impacts of climate change. So addressing the fact that you guys, you might not know it, but this These are impacts of climate change. The fact that it was not supposed to be hot for five months in a row—that was that was an impact of climate change. Because impact of climate change is that the weather patterns are very destabilized. So you can either have a very long sunny season, because here we just have two seasons, sun and rain. So we have like a very long sunny season and a very long uh, rainy season, or both, or something like that. So actually, telling them that the reason as to why it's as hot as this is because of climate change, or Hopefully this doesn't happen, but in case there are massive floods for so long, there will be an impact on climate change. So giving them that awareness and educating them on the human impacts and the health impacts that all of this is going to cause takes them a step further. And it pushes that conversation to a more personal level on what can we now do as a country because Let's not stop let's stop saying that oh this is a white problem, it's none of our business, it's our problem. We might we, we did know it was our problem, but now that we know it's our problem, what are we going to do about it?
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. It's so important when you think about that in the sense of climate change doesn't have borders in the way that countries mm-hmm. do. So majority it's it's countries in the global north that are, or like the least affected countries that are the ones that are contributing the most. So it's our problem in the sense that we are catalyzing this so much right. but our emissions and our destructions don't sit within the borders of the country there's something that really
1: needs to be chatted about the fact that yes the global north are the most emitters of greenhouse gas emissions but that doesn't mean that because they are the most emitters the emissions are centered in the global north they are going they are going to the global south it's really sad, but because of the global south also we still don't have the the technology and like the ad to really like mitigate those impacts. That is why when it comes to us really finding solutions to it, it's really important here to actually look at it on a more personal level, because I believe that countries in the global north have the expertise, they have the money, they have the resources to combat the impacts of climate change countries in the global south majority of them are still not there yet that's why we really need to center most on how to mitigate those impacts in the global south because we are not only at the brunt of it but we are still not there when it comes to resource resources and technology and how to mitigate it so it's very important to have that discussion as well
0: yeah definitely and i think like the redistribution of resources is such an important mm-hmm. thing you know if you think about how much has been extracted from countries who maybe were abundant in resources, but they've been taken away.
1: <laughs> that is also now another thing that we really, really need to talk about. And I, it's amazing that during the recent and, Unhealth uh, and webinar, um, one of the, the panellists, Kirsten Perry, was talking about the fact that we have all, in a sense, faced racism. In Africa, we might be majority Black, but because most of our resources have been taken by the global North, And they have left us with nothing, and because of that, we actually, like for example, cannot combat the effects of climate change. So that is also something that we really need to look at, because, like for example, the Congo Basin is something that is so depleted. Countries are always coming to like that. The DRC are always taking resource after resource after resource, and I don't even know how they are still standing. And they are also really facing the impacts of climate change so badly. And because of the fact that financially and resource-wise, they are really not there, they actually cannot help themselves. So looking at the fact that you guys came to our country, took our resources, but when we are facing the impacts of climate change, you don't want to come back and actually you know, give us part of what you took. So that is something that countries in the global north really need to do but the world is unfair, but I think it's really unfair for something like that to happen, and then for the people that have taken everything from me to just sit back and watch it happening.
0: Yeah, and that's so much why understanding the connections between social and racial injustice and the mm-hmm. climate crisis are so important, because the climate crisis has been fueled off of racism and colonialism, and yeah, actually, countries in the global north recognising that, and taking the accountability for that and changing yeah. it just needs to happen
1: and like you see how there's really really no accountability when it comes to like you know the ironic thing is that there are certain countries organizations companies that are still debating if climate change is real that is something that blows my mind like are you guys really doing this still today like that's something that and there's like really no accountability and of course someone was asking me that do you find then? do you find your efforts a bit discouraging that you're doing this for nothing and I was saying really if the old people or the people in power have chosen not to do anything then who else is going to do it I think as young people we can stand up where we believe in and then also act so if the old people, the policy makers, governments, companies, NGOs, the people in power are not willing to act or either just don't care or are taking long to care, then we ourselves have to do something. Because when we're really now really saying that, okay, you guys, we are about, like, us is about to like really like just go to extinction. All these old people that we are relying on now will not be there, it will be us. And then we will have to actually do something about it. So why not just start now, you know? That accountability is something that's not going to be taken. They are still denying that, no, the science does not prove anything. I know I always talk about science. The science does not prove anything. It cannot be climate change and things like that. So us as young people really need to start acting now because it is our future. It is not their future. It's ours. So we need to do something about it because clearly they are not going to do anything. 100%
0: like I think their mindset's just so rooted in profit over people Mm -hmm. which is it's disgusting and yeah and I think you know as a younger generation of people having these collaborations and learning all of these things we can hopefully try and restructure as much as we can and disrupt the system to to shift that focus
1: yeah to really shift that focus because like I don't think you can Tear down an entire economic system because climate change and its impacts have been really rooted on capitalism and like you know the important people and the people in power making that profit. And I think to a point we have benefited from capitalism, but then it is too much. There is no accountability, there is no transparency, and like there is not there are no checks and balances. Be like okay, you are. A meeting the most so you should pay the most that's something that's not happening which needs to be happening so hopefully as young people we really change we shift the way in which things are happening right now in that the way we consume will change the way we produce will change and also we shall be very transparent in what we are doing we shall be more sustainable so that's something that i'm very um hopeful for for the future and i think it will be done i think it will be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Oh, I love that you can bring the sense of hope into this. is so, so important. And, it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and I think it links on perfectly to the next question I was going to ask you, which is what does climate justice mean for you in relation to your community?
1: Well, to me, climate justice is basically a space because climate justice is acknowledging the fact that the impacts of climate change are not impacting us equally. So to me, climate justice, especially when it comes to the fact that I'm really uh, passionate about educating people about climate change and its intersection, and also involving them in climate-related activism, to me, it's all about spaces where children, communities have access to that information. It is not excluded to them, which is something that's happening right now. All that information is online. It's very scientific meaning it's non-digestible for young children and it's also not accessible to everyone. I'm not saying in Uganda, but largely in Uganda because very many people in Uganda still don't have access to the internet. So to me, climate justice is just that space whereby someone has access to digestible climate information that they can then use to better their communities because... I believe in self-reliance. If someone has that information, then they can actually really start solving what's happening. That is how I envision climate justice to be, and hopefully we will work towards it here. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very, very uh, hopeful that we are going to do something when it comes to making climate-related education both digestible and accessible to people here in Uganda. Mm-hmm.
0: And with the work that your organization is doing it's so hopeful for your community and yeah it's incredible what you're doing I think it's really amazing
1: thank you Myla <laughs>
0: you're more than welcome and <laughs> then I just have the final question I was going to ask you which I always ask at the end of the podcast which is how you find your little bit of lagum so not too little not too much all about finding that balance
1: I really like reading, like when I'm, not, when I'm not doing anything that is very businessy, like let's say I'm really stressed. I always like to like sit in a chair and read, or even actually just lie in my bed and read. So that is what I do a lot. Like I always like reading. Then of course, I'm a, a, I learned how to crochet when I was in primary school. I started crocheting again this year. So these days I always also like crocheting because kind of zooms everything out and you're like, just... Focused on the activity you're doing. So that is how I find balance in life reading a good book and crocheting a sweater or maybe a shirt. Anything. I can crochet you a shirt. Oh, a sweater. A sweater, maybe. I like oh, crocheting gosh. sweaters. they so fun.
0: That's so amazing. I've never learned how to crochet. So I'm totally fascinated
1: by that. Oh, I really need to teach you then. We are definitely going to do, I'm going to like send you a DIY video because I taught my mom how to crochet. So now she knows how to crochet. So I'm going to to teach you how to crochet. It's very simple. I will actually give you requirements. Crochet, needle, yarn. Then I will start. How to start? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Trust me, in like a week or two weeks, you'll be a pro at this. And then maybe we can, you, you can start like crocheting some of your of your of your attires because again, such activities not only I are mean, not only calming and like make people find balance, but when you really look at our consumerism, it kind of combats the way we like always buy clothes and then we buy clothes and just throw them out because people here buy clothes and throw them away, buy throw. So the fact that you can make your own clothes. And then they are very long-lasting. So that also kind of reduces the amount of what you consume.
0: Amazing. It's a positive in so many ways. It's calming Mm -hmm. you in the process. And then you're also making your beautiful clothes. That's so nice. I know. Mm
1: -hmm. I'm definitely going to have to show you how to pressure. I'm going to do this after this. I'm going to make a video. (laughs) And I'm going to first take pictures of the requirements. (laughs) 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 I'll start from there
0: oh that would be so much appreciated (laughs) (laughs) I'm now
1: excited about that actually
0: me too (laughs) me
1: too (laughs) I have have some yarn and like I have two needles so yes I have two needles I'm going to like just send you and then we shall start from there
0: amazing I'm very much looking forward to that (laughs) well thank you so so much I've enjoyed this conversation thoroughly and thank you for all of the incredible perspectives you shared and the incredible work that you're doing yeah thank
1: you so much thank you so much Marla, for having me i really had fun the questions were very insightful and thought provoking kind of like encouraging a self-reflection in me which has a, which was really amazing so thank you so much for having me
0: oh you're more than welcome and i very much hope that we can keep in touch because yeah
1: definitely we are definitely keeping in touch in regards to that crocheting because i think you need to learn how to crochet so for that we are definitely in touch
0: thanks so much again to hazel i learned so much from chatting with her and it was really just such an enjoyable conversation as well and i'm really excited to continue following the work that climate operation is doing if you'd like to find out more about Hazel's work and keep connected with what Climate Operation are getting up to, you can find Hazel on Instagram at HazelPatricia1, and that's the number one. And you can follow Climate Operation at Climate Operation on Instagram. And through the bio, you can find links to other awesome things that have been happening. If you've enjoyed this conversation and found it useful, please do share it with family and friends because it really helps more people listen to these incredibly important messages shared by really wonderful people. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review because it really does help. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today and I'll speak to you again soon. Bye!